0: Welcome to the Generation Hustle podcast, a show that explores the world of business, entrepreneurship, and culture all centered around the millennial. I'm your co-host Sherriston alongside my good friend Amin, and today we get a chance to speak with Michael Mielewski, Chief Legal Officer for Yum! Brands, the conglomerate that owns and operates the KFC, Taco Bell, and Pizza Hut banners. However, before he was a Chief Legal Officer, Mike didn't always know that he would go into law. We hear so many stories of students, graduates, and career professionals alike that feel that they aren't quite in the right field or aren't sure of what they want to do with their careers anymore. How many of us are actually working a job that we truly enjoy and are passionately aligned with? Don't answer that. And more importantly, how many of us are willing to do something about it? In 2006, Mike completed a Bachelor of Life Sciences, fully expecting to enter the medical industry until he realized medical school wasn't what he wanted to do. So after speaking with family and friends, he decided business was the way to go. So he entered an MBA program and graduated in 2008, just as the market crashed, and the industry looked emptier than the tour spots do in 2020. So after speaking with family and friends again, he applied for law school and graduated from the Oswald School of Law. At this point, you can say he's the unofficial king of school. Fast forward 10 years and multiple stints at various positions, and he now serves as the chief legal officer at KFC Global and as legal counsel for Pizza Hut International. Mike's story is one of true determination and will. Instead of succumbing to the social norms and accepting an unfulfilling position or allowing external factors to decide his fate, he was able to adjust, pivot, and relearn in order to succeed. In this world, change is the only constant. So if you aren't adapting and learning, you will get left behind. So we talked to Michael about how he maneuvered the many pivots in his career, schooling as it relates to learning and education, and his philosophy on chasing success and passion. We're truly excited for this episode as this conversation is filled with gems throughout that can speak to any age group. So without further ado, Michael Noworowski. Hello.
1: What up, gents?
0: How you doing, Mike? (laughs) Hey. Nice to see you. Long time, long time. This is Amin. Yeah. Hey, Mike. How's, nice to meet
2: you. How's it going, man? Good, man. Good, man. How's uh, quarantine been? Oh, it's been all right. You're rocking the Canucks hat, eh? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I wouldn't say I'm a fan. It's just a nice hat. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. But I'm not a least fan either, so you can't... Uh, Really call me out for that
1: either. I should go grab like my Raps hat or my Blue Jays hat. I was actually
2: gonna wear a Raps hat today in uh, in uh, kind of celebration of their win. I think it was it fell on yesterday or something like that. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: So, I went to I went to the game. The what? I went. I flew. I flew to San Francisco. Uh huh. With my buddies from Toronto, it was crazy. So. We were like, I was, I'm obviously living in Texas and my, like my buddies in Toronto are all, you know, we're watching the games like religiously. And, uh, I like wanted to fly home for a game, but it like wasn't working out and we were getting deeper and deeper in the playoffs. And I was like, okay, I'm going to go to Philly. Like it just wasn't lining up with my calendar. Yeah. And once we made the finals, I was like, this is ridiculous.
0: You had to, yeah. You had
1: to go, yeah. We just picked a game We're like, let's just pick like early in, early in the series, like I think they won game one and we're like, Hey, let's just buy tickets for game six. Like if it happens, it happens. And all my other buddies had tickets in Toronto or we're like paying crazy amounts of money for Toronto. Yeah. So we just picked one of the games in golden state. And that week, like the game five, when we lost, I was in Florida. Uh huh. I had gone to Florida for my job for 48 hours. So I flew in Sunday night. That game was Tuesday night. It ended up like, I don't know, 10 30, 11. I went to my hotel. I booked a ticket. I, I only booked a one way ticket to Florida because if we won, I was going to go to Toronto for the celebration. And, okay, <laughs> and if we lost, I was going to fly. I had to fly home to Dallas. I flew home to Dallas for like 30 hours. Basically, dropped my work bag off, saw my kids, saw my wife, packed a new bag, and went to San Francisco.
0: Uh-huh.
1: I went to San Fran for 24 hours. Like, I literally flew in the day of the game like my buddies and I like all shared one hotel room. We didn't care. We knew we weren't going to like really be sleeping there. Yeah. And we just went to the game and obviously we won and then like we partied till super late at night. <laughs> yeah. And like crashed for like an hour or 2 in the morning in the hotel. Woke up, had breakfast, coffee, went to the airport and
2: flew back to Dallas. Like it was That
0: crazy. is insane. That
2: that's almost like a hangover story but not Las Vegas. <laughs> totally. And yeah. the worst
1: part was, though, is, like, I don't know if you've ever party on the West Coast, but, like, everyone goes to bed super early.
2: Uh, no, I've actually no, been to Cali, yeah. so I wouldn't know oh, Okay, so, yeah. like, the whole
1: West Coast, whether it's Vancouver, Cali, like, they're all about waking up early and, like, going for runs and going to the ocean or whatever. So it wasn't, like, that good of a party. And the only people partying were, like, the Canadians. There was probably, right. like, a few thousand Canadians there. yeah. All of us were just like going from club to club, like the whole, every Toronto Raptor fan was like partying together. But we were all like looking at our phones and Toronto, like the streets were insane, right? Like everyone was piling the streets, climbing on top of buildings, like it was crazy.
0: Right, right. It was insane. I was was seeing the videos and I was like, dude, we have to get downtown. Like this is insane. I was there. I was there for the parade or a bit of the parade, but um, I didn't get a chance to stay for all of it. Fair enough.
1: Oh, the parade looked insane too. Like I don't know how many millions, two, three million people outside. It yeah,
0: we,
2: we were actually so our work let us go early that day. Uh, so yeah. like it was like they just we just came in the office. He's like,
1: no, I'm even surprised anyone went to work. Like,
2: yeah, I mean, yeah, he's just like he's like, why are you in office? Just go, go have fun. Um, and so our 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 base or like our place actually starts near the lakeshore. And okay, so that's like when the bus first came in oh that and that was the best place to be yeah was that's the best place the before phenomenon. all the crazy yeah. stuff and so we got uh, we got champagne showers from like kyle uh nice. I, I still have all the videos and stuff so nice. kyle we had Serge baka and then kawaii obviously and so that Amazing. that was something to remember i mean we're probably never going to see that for a while Wow. wow. Who knows? <laughs> I mean, we're still defending champs, right? So, right. Uh, right? So that's still a positive. That's, yeah, that's re-
0: seriously why I don't want them to restart the season. I'm like, we're still champs, bro. Let, let, yeah, let us keep it. Keep it going. Keep yeah. it going. <laughs> but um, the the yeah, last I think. Champions to ever be the champions.
2: <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, really.
0: Exactly. But yeah, man, thank you so much for coming on and doing this. We appreciate you so much. Of i was course. i was telling them, and i was like this this dude's story is just it's insane and i loved it and i me- I remember sitting in your office when you were telling me about it and i was like how are you real like what is going on man? how did this happen yeah, yeah i mean
1: i it's funny like every, you know everyone has stories in their life it's not like you know it's just sort of the way life unfolded for me but you always hear like these you know i did one thing and something else happened and something else happened i think I think even if you ask your parents how they ended up where they ended up if they've immigrated or moved places you know it's always like crazy stories of how these things unfolded so yeah
2: yeah you know, that's pretty funny because like uh my entire family lives in england but Okay. my parents ended up in canada for some reason yeah <laughs> uh, i have no clue or, like how that happened because like every single family member is in england and just like yeah that doesn't really correlate in a rata, but I'm kind of happy They must have that had
1: like a friend or like, or a job Something office, like maybe. that. Like
2: something drew them here, right? Yeah. Yeah. But I'm happy. I mean, Canada is probably the best country in the world. Uh, so sure. definitely not complaining there. For sure. For Mike, sure. can
0: you, can you agree with that? Or have you uh, yeah, like fully- A million,
2: a million percent. <laughs> <laughs> couldn't, agree
1: if,
0: couldn't agree more. I didn't know if you more. converted fully over, you know? No,
1: no, no, man. I'm still bleeding the red and white. Absolutely. i love it i love it absolutely um anyways yeah i mean my story is kind of crazy like i guess you know i i went to like you know undergrad and whatever thinking that you know i was gonna do sciences and kind of tried to kind of go towards the path of medicine and um you know i really spent like i kind of spent my time and my focus on like you know writing the mcats and like kind of going the, the route of where medicine would take me. And um, for whatever reasons, like it didn't really pan out that way. And I guess, you know, I did, I did my undergrad in science. And then I finished undergrad, I had applied to med schools initially, like didn't get in, figured, you know, I should probably go do something else. I'm not just gonna like sit around and waste a year or waste my time. And um, I had worked actually, my sister was working at Johnson and Johnson. So I went and worked there for like a summer as like a summer intern or whatever they had like opportunities for you know family and whatever yeah and um i sort of got involved like in the pharmaceutical industry and decided i was going to go do an mba and figured like the mcmaster like the program has a really good um co-op program their mba program and it's linked to like health sciences so right i kind of liked health sciences always kind of had a passion for business so thought that would be like a good way to kind of see the business side of 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 it right so i did basically an mba at mac um spent uh you know in the beginning i was like oh i'm gonna do the health sciences mba that was my focus i like applied into that program i got into that program and the way that program works actually so it's four months school four months work and you're constantly rotating between the two for like two and a half years and in my two, like about a year into it so i had done a work semester a school sorry a school semester a work semester and then a school semester and i just started realizing like i'm getting an mba why am i limiting myself to healthcare? like there's so many other industries i should probably learn something about finance if i'm gonna you know pretend that i have an mba i should understand what that means so i ended up working at a at like a mutual fund company called mckenzie financial yep. and then um, and then I went back to Mac again, I like did a consulting stint at a hospital and then worked for another pharma company. Anyways, things kind of just unfolded themselves. And then I was graduating business school and it was 2008.
0: Yep. and oh, basically,
1: yeah. you know, I had actually like reapplied to med school thinking like maybe I was going to go It again, didn't really pan out. Like this was a year earlier. I kind of decided that wasn't for me anyways. And thought, okay, I'll work, like I'll get out of business school, I'll find a job. You know, there's good jobs at a business school, like I'll figure something out. Yeah. And uh, and it was 2008 <laughs> when I got to business school. <laughs> yeah. And literally the whole entire world economy was just crashing, right? Wow. Not, not different than what it is like today. And so um, I actually was like kind of interviewing with a company and potentially had like a pharma kind of job lined up but decided that, you know, it wasn't really like my passion. Like I I could have done it and I would have, you know, it would have been fine, but I didn't, I wasn't really passionate about it. And actually a bunch of my friends ended up going to law school at the time. And they're like, listen, like you have an MBA, like go get a law degree. (laughs) And they're like, if you combine the two, like, you know, you'll have so many doors that'll be open for you. You can go on the business side, you can do the legal side. It's like a really good combo. And so... You know, I did think about it pretty seriously and actually my wife at the time was like, listen, when are you going to have another opportunity like this? Like, you know, we don't, you know, we we were still dating at the time, but like we weren't ready to have kids or anything. We weren't getting married yet. And she kind of pushed me. She's like, listen, go and see like what if you're interested in a law degree or whatever. So anyway, I obviously applied to law school, got into law school. And uh, the joke about all my friends is like, I've written like the MCAT, the LSAT. like I've written, <laughs> <laughs> Every <laughs> standardized test, yeah. Uh, yeah, I think I became a standardized test like whiz or something anyways. Um, <laughs> I, uh, so I went to law school. And then what actually worked out for me really well was law school. And we can get into this a little bit later in the conversation. It's very like structured, kind of how you get jobs and recruitment and all that. And when it was time for like jobs and recruiting and applying for positions, you know, I, thankfully, like I actually had a real resume because it, it opened a lot of doors for me when I was interviewing at all these firms, the thing I kept hearing about from like every person that I was meeting with was like, this is a real resume. Like most <laughs> people who, who, who go to law school, let's be honest, are like coming out of undergrad or had worked for a year somewhere, yeah. but don't have like real work, real life work experience. And that was kind of one of the things that I would think put me, you know, head above shoulders above other people. There's obviously a few older people that kind of go back to school. And those are the people that obviously have real careers and then kind of go to law school. And those people obviously have real resumes. But most of the people are just kids from undergrad and they've worked at, like, you know, their mom's company or their dad's company for a summer. And they worked at a summer camp and, like, did whatever, odd and end jobs. And there's nothing wrong with odd and end jobs. I think they're fine. But it let me stand out the fact that I actually had like a real resume that was made up of pharma companies and financial industry and, you know, healthcare and consulting and whatever the different things that I had done. And I think one of the things I always tell like, you know, friends or like parents, friends that are like, Oh, can you talk to my kid about, you know, career and kind of how you ended up in things? I always say to them, like, you know, don't think of yourself like as a kid, when you're kind of going through school, like, really try and figure out like, go see what your dad's friend does that you think does something interesting or your mom's friend, or if your sister works somewhere, go see what that's about. Like you kind of hear the stories and you kind of feel like, you know, you know what they do, but until you kind of go to their office day to day um, and kind of get a feel for that, you're never really going to know what that's like. Right. Right. So I think that's always something that I kind of encourage people to do. And, you know, and I think kids kind of take it for granted. Like they don't, realize that those opportunities exist like they think oh you know eventually i'll get a job but if you actually spend the time kind of and you're not really building a resume you're just kind of learning and you're you're getting that experience you sort of start to map yourself out and figure out where where your career can go right
0: right 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 so i like and and that's an interesting point i like that you mentioned that because what i wanted to ask during that process was that like did any of this seem um, like scripted to you at all? Like, did you ever see this as a kid? Just because as a kid, you always ask that question, right? So it's like, did yeah. you ever have that idea? Like, hey, this is what I want to do. Or maybe I'll try this.
1: Yeah, and and not at all. Right. And I think, I think first of all, like, a lot of kids, you know, kind of how do you end up doing what you do? Right? Like, how do you end up studying what you study? A lot of it's like your parents influence or like, yep. you know, your, your family's <laughs> influence, you have a history of like, you know, I don't know, doctors in your family or, you have a history of whatever family business that kind of has been running for years or whatever. So I think that kind of pushes people or like TV often, right? You like, a lot of times kids in law school are like, I love law and order and that's why I wanted to be a lawyer. <laughs> yeah. Or, you know, they do say that and, it, and it's, but it's legitimate, like, that's okay. You can like wanting to be a lawyer because you watch it on TV or, a you know, a doctor or a policeman or whatever. That's kind of how we experience the world, right? Everyone wants, be,
0: think, yeah. everyone wants to be Harvey Specter, right? Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you know, I never watched that show until after I, like, finished law school. I should have, I should have probably watched it sooner. Um, but I think, you know, I, I don't think there is a script to it. And I think a lot of, you know, young people often think that, okay, I'm going to do this, and then I'm going to do that, and I'm going to do that. And it, that does work out for a few people, and, and that's, you know, the right path to have. I think you should kind of have goals and try to set them and achieve them. But I would say if you probably, you know, pull 100 people, I'd say 80 of them are not doing the things they thought they would be doing, whether that's in school or high school or undergrad, or even if they have a degree, like they're not often doing what their degree or specialty is, right. And it's all kinds of circumstances, whether they hated it, or they never got a job in it, or other opportunities came up along the way, or they tried it out for a few years. So I would say, you know, be open to like, see kind of the path that life takes you on and, and try and figure things out and kind of trust your gut a little bit. And sometimes you have to take a leap of faith too, right? Like it's not an easy thing to switch careers or to go back to school. And a lot of those things also depend on your circumstances and your financial situation. And, you know, there's a lot of factors at play, but I think if you try to kind of, you know, be open about it and see what opportunities and kind of jump sometimes when they feel right. And as they come, you know, or, or look for them, you know, is the other oppor- is the other way of doing it. And, and don't just expect things to unfold the way you, you know, plan them to kind of. Thing. Right.
0: Right. Right. And, and you, and you said it like right there, right. Take, you got to take a leap of faith. So it's like during your process, at least like when, when you were switching between all these different fields, it's like, it's, it's easy to say that, but when you're in it, it's kind of like, you're confused you're angry you're upset like you don't know what oh, you're yeah. doing like- oh yeah
1: originally when I like didn't get into med school after underground I was like I was not devastated but I was pretty upset I was like oh I'll go do an MBA I thought I was just going to do an MBA to kind of kill time while I would like right. you know write the MCAT again and kind of you know pick my grades up and if you had a master's you were more likely to get into med school so I I kind of like did it as a thing not really thinking this was going to take me anywhere else but it ended up being something that did take me somewhere else right yeah um and and it's funny like going through it yeah you have all the emotions of like is this the right thing is you know am i am i what am i doing <laughs> why am i doing this like, <laughs> yeah yeah you know, what did i just do and like i even considered at some point like going to med school in the Caribbean because I was like so passionate about being a doctor and like it's so hard to get in in Canada and right. you know I had some friends that were like either going to the Caribbean or were already there or had just finished there and and I think you know I I actually like went to one of like the Caribbean med schools like open houses at some point and then I was like this is crazy I'm not gonna go like <laughs> you know anyway it wasn't right it wasn't what it didn't feel right for me right yeah um but you know had i chosen that path who knows where i'd be today so
0: yeah yeah Yeah, who knows right yeah and that's the
1: thing right when you have all these forks in the road you're not always going to make the right choices i definitely made lots of you know mistakes and whatever along the way but that's sort of how life pans out and i think that's what keeps it interesting right
0: what was the self-talk that you kind of gave yourself during (laughs) those forks because i think that's the hardest thing for people right you always want to know that you're making the right decision but you never do until ten years, fifteen <laughs> years down the road.
1: It's funny. I mean, I just moved from Canada to the US like a year and a half ago, and I'm still talking to myself.
0: <laughs> <laughs> hey, um, it's gotten you know. there, so you got to trust. Yeah,
1: exactly. Me. I, you know, I don't know, right? Like, I think, I think part of it has to do with probably like my parents and like they you know they actually were born in moldova like which used to be part of the ussr and then like immigrated to israel and like jumped as an opportunity to get out of like communist russia and like escape and then my aunt had moved to canada and they're like let's leave israel and go to canada like it seems like there's better opportunities there right and i feel like that's kind of that's my childhood so like i i wasn't i mean i was born in israel and i moved to canada very young but those are the stories i always heard from my own parents Right. And I think they were always just like, you got to keep going. You got to do the next thing. Like, you can't, there's no time for self pity and there's no time to like stop and think about things. I mean, you should think things through, but you know, you can't like dwell on what didn't happen. You just got to like make your way, you know, keep going and, and make your own way work for you, whatever that way is. Right. And I think right. that's probably what has kept me going <laughs> throughout all the craziness uh even now like even in covid and the craziness of the world like you can't you know there's no no time for self-pity and for you know obviously times are tough and people are sick and there's all kinds of situations coming out of it but um i still think it's just important to you know just keep chugging along and keep pushing and and you know sometimes it is a bit of rolling the dice i think we all know like part of life is just being lucky at the right times and And that's a huge part of it. And I don't think anyone can deny that, but part of it is also just hard work. Like you got to work really hard. And if one thing doesn't work out, like, don't be afraid to jump in on something else and and work hard at that and see where it goes.
0: Right. Right. I want to ask you a quick question on that. Like, how do you, because it just came to my mind right now, just because it's it's one thing to kind of push yourself to go through different things and and just tell yourself that like, Hey, we got to keep pushing it. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. Um, But how do you, what what is your view on failures, right? Because I think that that perspective is really key for people um, to understand how to bounce back in situations. And you bounce back a lot, or I don't even want to say bounce back. I just want to say you pivoted a lot. Yeah. So like, how do you view that?
1: I think, I think anyone who's like failed that the thing they thought they were going to achieve and then ended up doing something different. I think anyone will tell you like, the obvious, you know, if you fail, you got to get up and go again. But I, I don't, I don't necessarily like think it's that I actually think it's, you know, life or God or, you know, karma or whatever you want to whatever you want to call it, right? Um, kind of pointing you in a different direction, right? Like, to be honest, like I look at my friend, I have a few friends now that are physicians. And like, I, I I'm not sure that I would have been a good physician or like, like, that would have been the right lifestyle for me. Like, And, and I wouldn't have known that until now. And I'm not that old that I'm looking back in my whole life, but you know, I'm, maybe that wasn't the right or what was meant for me to be like in my career. And, and I would have never known that at the time. There's no way to know that at the time. And you can only be in the life that you're in. But I think that instead of looking at it as a failure, trying to think of, well, this didn't work out, try and figure out what's something better that you can do, right? And what's something different that you can do that will lead you down an equally successful or more successful road for whatever success means to you. Right.
0: Right. Right. Whether it's one day at a
1: time. Yeah. And even if it's like school, you know, even just, did I get into the university that I wanted to go to? Did I get into the class I wanted to get into, you know, all, all sort of the steps that, you know, you go through and you're, schooling life, and then eventually in your career, like, you know, if it wasn't, if it was meant to be, it'll sort of happen. And if it wasn't meant to be, you know, it probably for the right reasons wasn't meant to be.
2: Right, I think that's super powerful, because I had a that I that like, pretty much resonates to me, because I remember, when I was applying to uh, universities in high school, uh, the first, my number one choice happened to be Schulich uh, at York. And so my other choices were like Laurier or Mac and stuff like that. Uh, and I think one of my buddies got in and mm-hmm. I was just like, Hey, where's my acceptance? I haven't gotten yet. Uh, and gr- and granted, I thought I had the grades and did everything I could. Right. Uh, a week later, I figure out, shit, I didn't get accepted. And like that, that was kind of like, you know, uh, it impacted me in a way where it's just like, damn, I didn't get my first choice. But, uh, then I had the opportunity of going to Laurier and it's probably the best decision I've ever made since. And so like, I never kind of look back on that kind of experience of like, I didn't get into Schulich, but you know, you just move forward and you know, like you said, uh, life is just what it is. And you know, you have to kind of move forward with whatever decisions, uh, or outcomes, uh, occur. For sure. And you know what, like maybe Shulik wasn't meant for
1: you, right? Like yeah. maybe you would have struggled there. Maybe it wasn't the right opportunity. Maybe because you went to Laurier, you moved out of your house and you like had a great yeah. un- bad experience that you wouldn't have had living at home going to York. Like, yeah, you know who knows, right? Maybe you met your wife, whatever. I don't know what, what else <laughs> happened in your life, but those kinds of things, you know, weren't meant to be for yeah. whatever reason uh, or whatever those reasons are. So... You're absolutely right. Like that's, and, and, but I think what separates, you know, people is how you react to that situation, right? A lot of people are like, Oh, I didn't get into Shulik, My life is going to be ruined. I'm not going Mm -hmm. to get that prestigious job that comes out after I go to Shulick and then I'm not going to be successful. And, And they kind of get stuck in those moments. And I think those are the moments that you kind of, like you said, you just have to say, okay, it didn't work out. I can go to Laurier and kill it there. And get a you know and get a great job out of there and maybe i'm the smartest person there and and i'm you know whatever and, and i'm gonna work twice as hard so that i can get an mba at Schulich or whatever right and and you kind of push yourself um versus getting down on life and being like okay it's, you know and re- and trying to go, always go back you know people do all kinds of crazy things right yeah, to yeah, to yeah go back to the other path when it's sometimes it's not the right thing for you
0: i think i think this is a question kind of for both of you guys just on that note like and I mean, you mentioned that you get to look back now and say, Hey, like I am happy with where I am. And so, and that was because of Laurier. So were, were there, was there ever a moment during the process where you were like um, like whether that was you at Laurier or Mike while um while you were in law school, like, was there ever a moment where you were like, this is it? Like, I, I have a feeling that this is it and this is going to do well. Or was it always like after the fact where you got a chance to look back? Michael, you go first.
1: Yeah. Yeah. For me, I don't, I would say the first time maybe that I like, I never looked back at all. I would say the first time that maybe I felt like this was for me and kind of being successful was, was kind of in law school. I think once I kind of went through the, so the way law school works, and I won't get into all the details, but basically you kind of, If you want to work in the corporate world, all the big firms and medium sized firms and even some of the criminal firms and whatever, depends on kind of where, what kind of lawyer you want to be. But if you want to do the commercial corporate stuff, they all hire you. Well, not all. They hire you pretty much out of or in the middle of second year. But it's all based on like your first year marks and kind of, you know, first year and a half kind of marks. Right. And so I think for me you know, when I finally kind of went through the recruitment process and had a job, it kind of gives you a little bit of security because, you know, you kind of have a summer position. And if you do okay in summer, or you do well in summer, that'll sort of lead to an articling position, which will eventually allow you to be a lawyer. Mm -hmm, And I think that's like the stress you have when you go to law school, because you're like, I don't want to go through this whole process, not get an articling position, not become the lawyer, like, why did I spend all these years studying in and not ever becoming that? And it's, And that's not the route that everyone takes. And that's not necessarily how it works out. But for me, that's what I wanted to do. And once I kind of had that, you know, summer position lined up and felt like, you know, I'd be fine there. And and if I did okay, I'd be able to succeed there. That's kind of the first time that I really felt like I was leading in a path that was like, meant to kind of be. And until that point in my life, I never really felt that way, to be honest, which is, I'm only saying this now, like I never really thought about it till looking back. So to answer that point, but <laughs> in, in looking back, I can now feel like that's when I started to kind of feel a little bit more relaxed, that like my university or schooling was kind of leading somewhere
2: with a with a light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah. What about you, Armin? Um, for me personally, I, I think undergrad's a weird space to be in. Um, I think you're too young at that point to really realize where you're gonna head or where, where it's gonna end up. Um, so, I mean, obviously taking like the accounting degree and accounting or accounting major, I kind of knew what stream I wanted to go into, uh, but never knew what industry I'd end up in. Um, so I obviously started out in public accounting, uh, which was you know the typical route, similar to say in law school, you have to do articling for some type of law, um, industry that like right. criminal law or whatever it may be uh in this case i just ended up in a tax role out of school which uh because my grades happen to be pretty good in uh tax class so uh one of the partners were like you know what we have a role in tax might as well just shift into that and i had no expectations of doing that to be honest yeah. um and so i think it actually really did set me up because uh, uh moving forward into moving into tech per se, because um, in tax, in the field of tax, you kind of have to really be a problem solver rather than just follow a real structured format uh, and similar to what an audit has to do. Um, and so I kept on kind of taking the roles where I kept to have to take problem solving. And I think I took a few courses in university where allowed, where I was allowed to excel at that. Um, and so that's kind of, maybe that inkling of where, um, I wanted to kind of pursue that area, but I didn't know where I was going to end up. And so, uh, it was kind of, it's kind of hard to say in my undergrad that I really knew where I was going to head out. Um, and so I think later in my years, as I progressed, uh, that's kind of where I realized where my passions were. And now it's just like more so focused in say the tech industry and specific like finance and strategies, what I'm passionate about, um, and so I keep uh, kind of pushing towards, you know, those kind of parameters. So um, yeah, I think it's a, a unique kind of way of looking at things. But I think it's really hard to kind of determine when you're young, <laughs> where you're going to end up. Yeah, I
1: think what's interesting about school,
2: and I only, you know, I've been thinking about this, or talking about it recently
1: is like, the courses you generally do well, in, like, either you do well in like the maths or the sciences, like there's a there's a group of things, but it's the skills that you're kind of you don't know your, people tell you you're learning skills, but you don't think about it that right. way. Or think, you're just like, Oh, I'm learning calculus or algebra or whatever you're learning. Right. Um, but when you get to like working, whatever that means, you kind of, you, those are the things that you're more comfortable doing. And so you kind of naturally make decisions to kind of take those kinds of jobs and opportunities or those things become you know, present to you because you are good at those things. And you're like, yeah i would if you're good at math as an example you're not gonna want to take a job where you're like writing a lot right or you're just not you're not comfortable that's not what your passion is but you like crunching numbers or you understand numbers better and you feel comfortable with them you're gonna be it's gonna lead you to that kind of path right and it doesn't that's not always the case and mm-hmm. lots of people can do all kinds of different things but um, And that's sort of, even in your own, just the way you were telling that story, like that made sense that you would choose like a problem solving type of gig. And then as gigs came up that you were excited about, they were the ones that weren't just like straight following rules. They were ones that kind of made you problem solve or think things through that were outside of the box, right?
2: Yeah, exactly it.
0: I think people get too attached to symbols or ideals, right? It's kind of like, I want to be a doctor and then you kind of force yourself to go down that it's like because i've always wanted to be a doctor i always want to do this and this is not particularly you like i actually wanted to go into into medicine as well and i switched completely to business uh midway through high school because i was like what am i doing like why am i (laughs) trying to force this persona onto myself right and and people it it was so hard to admit um so i i think that's that was why your 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 story resonated so well because you were just like okay all right, let's go to the next one. Yeah. And I was like, what? <laughs> like, there was no friction at all.
1: You know, I thought, like, it seems like that, right? In reality, yeah. there was friction and there was, you know, decision making and there was, you know, part of it was like, oh, I'm good at these, like, tests. I can write another test and go to another school and I don't need to go to work. I can, you know, do school for another few years. And it always seemed like a natural, I don't know if it seemed natural or it ended up being that way, but it, felt comfortable to me at the time. Like, I don't think, like I said, I could have taken other jobs and it probably would have been okay, but right. didn't feel like that was the
0: right route for me. Right. So, so you there. started feeling right around the time you started working in law. Um, and yeah, so I-, and
1: I think, yeah, exactly. So I think, you know, I got out of uh, law school and I had an articling position at the firm that I had worked at um, in the summertime and, and I articled there and then, you know, got offered a job to come back as an associate and, you know, kind of thought that that was, you know, where life was going to take me. And I would be an associate for a bunch of years. And and who knows, maybe make partner one day or like try and make partner at a firm somewhere. Um, and I started kind of down that path. And the same sort of thing happened in my life, right? Like I got married, my wife and I started thinking about having a family. And then, you know, a couple of years later, uh, my daughter was born. And at the time, you know, I was still like I was a young associate at a law firm you know at a big corporate law firm in in Toronto who you know traditionally you're working a lot of hours and a lot of late nights and you know it just became like apparent to me that at that point in my life that wasn't something that like I want you know it probably like couldn't even handle the reality is like it was a lot of stress from like late nights and you know, not sleeping and all the things that come with having a newborn in the house. Right. Uh, And and not to say that like the law firm wasn't supportive and all that. I think they were, it's just the reality of the business. And you hear this a lot often like the female lawyers feel a lot of the brunt because even though they take time off, they feel like, you know, it's really hard to get back into like the legal, uh, you know, profession when you're in a firm and you have young kids or whatever. But like, you know, as a dad, I was really into my kids and I wanted to like be a part of their lives. And, and I could have stayed in law. It wasn't like, you know, it wasn't impossible. It just didn't, it became, fr- there was a lot of friction. And right. so, and just the way things work out as, as they often have in my life, you know, I was uh, the the fir- the place that I'm at now, which is Yum Brands, um, they were a client of the firm that I was working at. Oh and for about a year and a half you know even before i had a kid i was like one of the associates on the file and was kind of they a lot of stuff was going on in their business in canada and so there was just a lot of work that i was involved in their business and over the year and a half before i even moved there you know i had been to their offices and like been on phone calls with different people in different departments and so um, and I'll get to how I ended up there. But eventually when I did kind of go work there, I, and even to today, I always tell people like, I've been working there for almost five years now. It feels like six and a half because the first year and a half, I was like Great. sort of a consultant from the legal side to the company. And, and when I walked in the door on the first day, I had no, you know, I had names or I had met some of like 10 or 12 people out of a company of like a hundred. It's like, I knew 10 to 15% before I walked in the door just by being on calls with them and kind of helping them and dealing with them. So it felt very natural for me um, to kind of go there. And, and, and again, some of it's the stars lining up and, you know, the perfect path happening for me, but um, right around the time when my daughter was born their you know, their business, you know, something interesting happened in their business and they hadn't had like a full-time in-house lawyer for their Canadian business for quite, some time there was one prior but it was been a few years and they were being supported out of dallas interesting where i am today they had a lawyer who was kind of flying in and out of the country and and would fly in every four weeks or so and kind of help out um, and do some stuff remotely but you know their business was picking up and, and things were happening and it became apparent that they needed a lawyer and so again with the stars lining up or fortuitously this all happened like within a month of of after after my daughter was born and so you know i had like a meeting with them on completely something else and then they you know we sort of started talking and it was it was very mutual like it wasn't it was like hey like is there an opportunity here what how, how do you feel about coming here like both parties were kind of very open to it and actually i i was interviewing somewhere else at the time there was like a tech position actually that had come up and you know the tech world you know this is now five years ago, but especially in Toronto was like starting to boom. And a lot of my friends were kind of going into that industry. And even I was like, Oh, should I go into this tech field? Like, it seems, you know, like that's where society's going, but actually like the decision to go to yum, I, again, I sort of took a leap of faith and they sort of took a leap of faith on me, even though we had known each other for a year and a half, but it felt like the right place for me right. and was probably, again, one of those times where I went, acted on feelings and took, you know, a job that I felt was going to be like right for me, and it's one of those places. Obviously, now I've, you know, I worked in Canada for three years, and now I've been in the U.S. with them for two years. You know, it's obviously been the right move for me. It, it you know, it's it's been a company where I've really loved and felt like home, and their culture has been amazing, and has very and has lined up well for me. And kind of to your point earlier, I'm on about like how you feel you know, the, the jobs you take and the things you do that make you feel comfortable. Like Mm -hmm. it's, it's kind of, it's worked out for me in a way that's made me feel comfortable. And I think part of the reason people succeed at certain jobs or in certain companies or in certain industries, or if they start their own company or whatever, it's that like, that's what they're comfortable doing. Right. And, And you succeed when you're comfortable. So I think that's, you know, we can get into that as well, but that's sort of how I ended up here is like, I didn't, I didn't think this, I would be here. If you asked me even five years ago, I thought oh, I'd go do this yum job for a couple of years and then something else would appear and I would do that. Right. They, but that hasn't been the case. And so it's been, it's been awesome for me at least to kind of grow the company and, and you know, especially in the last five years, the company's really been doing well and it's been like fun to be a part of the growth and all the excitement that's been happening.
0: For sure. Yeah. And, and I think that like you're that, that kind of progression and kind of your decision-making around that is almost like a, a movie. You yeah. Know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah.
2: Starring Mike, we should just get like a Steven Spielberg thing going on or something like that. I know. Eh? Um, Therese, so Mike
1: so should be the, the director. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. I'll do my best. Do my best.
1: <laughs> That's the yeah. next thing for you after podcast, man. You can direct movies.
0: <laughs> I'm, I'm putting it out in the universe now, man. You said you it go. and I'm making it happen. There you go. Uh, So, Mike, now that
2: you've uh, kind of established your way through law school, uh, there's a lot of individuals, the new generation coming into law school. And one of the objects, and I've I've heard this many times, is I think it's specifically in Canada. I'm not sure if it's in the U.S. as well. But you have to complete your full undergraduate degree before you enter law school. And in some countries, all you do is require your completion of your LLBs, for example, like the UK. And so we've seen a lot of students flock towards, say, Australia, the UK, and stuff like that. In your opinion, um, do you think this is kind of the right approach in uh, in terms of law school, um, like the undergrad and then the LLB? Or do you think having a structured program, like a four-year program as just an LLB is the right path to go and saving a couple years uh, in terms of your path. Yeah. It's funny, like,
1: you know, even thinking back to like when I wanted to go to med school and potentially going to the Caribbean, like some people you can, I think you can go to the Caribbean after like two years of undergrad or something like that you don't need to finish a full undergrad to go. Yeah. And I think some people try to go right away because obviously it like takes a long time and there's a lot of years of school and if they can shave a couple years off, then why not do it? Right. And I think there are countries that have that, like, position. Obviously, Canada and the U.S. are not are not of in that group. Um, I'm not sure that there's, like, a right or wrong way. I do think part of it is actually, like, being mature enough to understand what, like, working in a company is and advising, like, you know, when you become a lawyer, at least on, like, the corporate side, you know, you're advising, like, businesses, and they're really looking for you to, like, give them advice. And it's not just necessarily that they're going to be either worried about a lawsuit. That's obviously part of it, but some of it, you know, lawyers play like a unique role. Part of it is born out of the legal side of things, but they, they play a role just, you know, the good ones at least they are looked to for like real strategic business advice, um, within the confines of the law and understanding the law and kind of understanding where, where and what they can do. And so I think, part of it is just having life experience and, and your age. And I'm not saying that young people can't be good lawyers for sure they can. And I think older people can be bad lawyers. Like it's not only that, Mm -hmm. but I think part of it is kind of living through undergrad. Like even to the point you made earlier is like when you go through undergrad, you don't really know. Yeah. You're also, you know, you're in your late teens or early twenties and you're kind of just finding yourself as a human, you know, your brother's relationships and life and family and, you know, boyfriends, girlfriends, whatever. I think all those things that kind of happen to you in those stages of your life that, um, kind of help shape you as a person. And I think going to, even for me, like going to business school and then law school, like the fact that I had worked in businesses, it wasn't just the fact that that was a resume builder. It was the fact that when I was now on the legal side of things, talking to people in a company. I kind of understood what their pressures were of being in a company, what makes a company successful. Like having walked, again, I I did a bunch of co-ops. There were four months stints at different places. I wasn't spending years in companies, but understanding that like the division they're in might have certain bonuses and targets and understanding that they have financial restraints and understanding like what their shareholders, like what their role they play, just even understanding like the whole, the stakeholders within a business, when you're on the legal side and advising a company, you the, the more you can understand that, the better advice you're gonna give. And I don't know that, necess- and again, if you're smart and you're young and you're in tune to all these things, I think you could be super successful and I don't necessarily think you need the undergrad. It's not like anyone who's finished any kind of degree, look, nurses and engineers go right to undergrad and become professionals. They don't need right. to go to any extra schooling. I just think that if you, Do you have, the more experience you have, I think the better you'll be, but I'm not sure that there's like a perfect answer. I think it works either way, but I think, I do think there's something to the fact that you worked and experienced life a little bit, particularly for law, that you can be a better advisor to people to, and then whether, again, whether that's criminal charges on the criminal case or litigation or corporate law or environmental law, like just having those experiences help shape you and ground you a little bit in reality of, of businesses and life and the people that you're dealing with
2: yeah and i totally agree with that point because uh i i of kind of give the example of my cpa designation in terms of right. you know trying to relate back to you guys are doing your law degree and getting your designation um and in terms of the process we go through uh we obviously go through the four-year undergrad which has to be like an approved program um, and then there's other kind of courses you have to take after school uh granted they don't take two years in time generally speaking but there is a added kind of subset of um, material that you have to take to kind of advance your knowledge in specific areas Mm -hmm. Um, and i think that's kind of where maybe our canadian system is kind of taking their stand on that it's like maybe develop you're probably not going to be a great 20 year old lawyer or whatever it may be Right. right that's way too young to kind of make large decisions. I mean, you might be a genius, but still you're very inexperienced. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I kind of always try to give that contrast uh, between the designation I have and what you're kind of trying to achieve. It's like, you know, you get better with experience, just like you find, I mean, you age like a fine wine kind of thing. That's kind of the analogy I always give. Um, For
1: sure. And like people always say, you know, actually I have two points on that. One is the the law firm that I worked at actually had done a study. I think when I started there of like their successful partners and they went back and looked at their grades in law school and they, you know, you would have assumed that they were all the A students, but actually there was a complete, you know, Mm -hmm. there were guys that were in the C's and the B's and some were the A's, like it was a whole spectrum. And, and I think part and again goes back to like life experiences and all these other things that happen it's not just about the schooling part of it and getting you know because you got a 100 and whatever constitutional law does not make you a good constitutional lawyer yeah right <laughs> so so anyway that, that that was my one point and the other one was um i think like canada takes a stance on these things and it's more like you know part of it is like there's a funnel for schooling and like you have to be You know, they want sort of diversity within what people come out as and they need some lawyers and they need some doctors, but they need some engineers, they need some policemen, they need everything across the board. So I think part of it, what's interesting about Canada is there's only like 35 million people, but we have, you know, a large geographic area. We need all kinds of, we have all kinds of industries and all kinds of jobs. Um, And like schooling traditionally is only part of the, of the system and they kind of want to funnel people into other things like you know i you know i would never i never knew anything about mining as an example right or like but actually when i started working at a law firm like mining is a huge thing in canada and you know Mm -hmm. uh, the tsx or whatever the tmx we want to call it is mining is a huge industry in canada why aren't they like exposing young people to that right why aren't they teaching them about gemology and you know there's so many interesting things that are happening um across canada With energy industry like there's so many cool and unique things but i think it's like you know the bubbles of school kind of funnel you into these you know specific professional professions that all, you know the kid, the younger generations aren't often exposed to all the other exciting things that are happening right. and i actually think it's it's sad like you kind of you realize this later but you know had had i known about whatever when i was a kid maybe that would have excited me
0: i don't know 100% agree with that 100% agree with that i feel like um i, I don't know this, this is probably blowing up on social media now with uh <laughs> with, with a lot of influencers talking about how they made millions without school and stuff like that but yeah. re, like realistically having went through that it's like schooling is 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 very um It's very focused on certain set of standards, right? And it's like it doesn't necessarily define you for what you can become. So I feel like it it can it can have that it can have a silo effect where it kind of forces you down one way, and then that's where you kind of conform to a big mass. And it's like you don't have the individuality to you until you kind of branch out from that. So
1: yeah, and again, it's like your experiences as a kid and like what your parents do and what their friends do, like if you have a friend who's a real estate agent and they're very successful, you're like, Oh, I want to go do real estate. Right. Mm-hmm. Like there's what a million real estate agents in Canada. Like everyone wants to be a real estate agent. Yep. The real estate market was so hot. Like, you know, everyone's brother and sister is a real estate agent now.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, but why aren't they looking at all the other millions of industries that exist? Right. Right. Um, right. So, and again, maybe if you live in Alberta, like you think of oil and gas as a real industry, but if you're in Ontario, it doesn't, you know you don't there's nowhere to learn about it there's nowhere to kind of get involved in it i remember when the oil boom was happening and like everyone was moving out to calgary and like yeah. these all these kids were driving like porsche i think they said porsche or lamborghini one of these places said that like <laughs> the, one of their best like best retail locations was in i was in calgary
2: right because
1: all these kids were like making six figures they were like not even going to school they were just going to like be truck drivers or whatever and we're making like really good money in the oil sands and what what do you need when you're young like you just want a cool car and a cell phone right like
2: yeah right, so they were right, all
1: buying yeah. like porsches and lambos and like you know and and so it's it's funny it's just like where what's 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 happening in your country what's happening in your economy what's happening in in society at the time like maybe i should have been an influencer jeez i probably would be making five <laughs> times the money i'm making now
0: <laughs> it's never too late for that i'll tell you that yeah.
1: If I could just open and unwrap gifts properly, I
2: could be like that Ryan kid.
0: <laughs> oh, that kid is killing YouTube, man. Oh,
2: my,
1: my my five-year-old wants to watch him open presents. I'm like, why are you watching this kid? <laughs> I,
0: I, I know I, I know Eman has a question here, but I just want to get that point in. That was a beautiful example because just relating school and influencers and making money and understanding the economy. It's like when I first learned that kid, like, like found out about that kid, I was like, he's making two million dollars a year opening no no birth. no not two million like twenty million. yeah, okay, yeah. i think this, it's like yeah.
1: 40 now this kid
2: yeah amazing this amazing, man. yeah well, this is probably are probably killing it <laughs> i don't know about him yet but yeah this sure. is
0: probably at the time he was making two a year and i was like and i'm paying forty thousand a year to get a piece of paper like what right. is go- like you know what i mean so that that was the first time i was like there's something backwards about this
1: for sure. And like, come on, all the Instagram, this and that, like, and, and, but the thing is, it's real. This is the crazy part of it, right? Is like, we can sit here and laugh about it, but the reality is there's so many people making yep. money this way and not, you know, and, and that's become an industry Yeah. Like, that they think that they, this is the career that they want to do. And maybe it's not a lifetime career, but maybe it doesn't need to be like, you know, if you made a few mil, like a couple years doing it, that's all you maybe need to work for the next 10, 15 years of your life.
2: Yeah. I guess it all depends on the person. So, I think this is a perfect segue into the next question. We talked about testing, um, and Mike, uh, you've taken all sort of the, all <laughs> sorts of standardized tests. So, I think you're perfect one to answer this question. Um, but, including myself, like I didn't really perform too well on a standardized testing. Luckily, I passed my CFA and I have my CPA. But, uh, Sheri's didn't uh, chime in on after this, but. Um, Do you think the LSAT is a good indicator of an individual becoming successful in the field of law or any standardized test for that matter? Um, And do you think there's a better alternative out there for testing?
1: I think that, um, you know, I understand why like schools do it. And I probably, you know, before you get into a program, you might not understand it. And like, you know, you're frustrated by the results, or even if you do very well, you're like so happy because, you know, and you think it means something. I, I think any school, any profession will tell you, no one ever looks back at those, you know, marks, grades, whatever. And I, I I would say that I doubt there's a correlation between you being a good doctor and you being good at the MCAT or you being a good lawyer and you being good at the outside. I don't, think those things are relevant, you know, they're relevant, but I don't think that there, there's maybe a correlation, but I don't think there's a causation or whatever, mm-hmm. right? Like, I don't think one thing leads to the other. I think if you're a school and you have like, however, you know, how many kids apply to, to law schools or med schools in a year, like thousands and thousands and thousands, and you only have like 200 spots to fill or whatever, if you're a school, you know, how do you do that? Right. And right. so, Even of the 10,000 kids applying, 5,000 of them are straight A students. And so you kind of have to start dwindling people down some way or another. And I think that's like where the whole standardized testing started. The reality is now that like even the test itself and all that has become such a big industry, right? Where like, and and there's like so many schools and like, you know, all these different books and like. And ultimately, I do think it tests like how you think and how your brain can compute and how you, um, you know, even reading and writing skills, there's math involved, obviously, problem solving. They all kind of test the same skill sets in different ways. Um, and, you know, some of them are more based in, in some learning and some education that you may need, like the MCATs, for example. You have to sort of have some basic chemistry and biology and whatever to, to understand and do well on them mm-hmm. but like you know it's always bothered me that you always hear these people who like they can write any of the tests because they're just like so good at standardized testing and when i say i'm good at standardized testing i'm okay i'm not like one of those people who just go and write a standardized test i still studied and i still you know uh, did all these things um i never mentioned the gmat by the way but you have to write the gmat <laughs> 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 uh, but, anyways, business schools, but okay. <laughs> yeah, I forgot about that. You guys, to be honest. Um, but anyways, I do think like, I do think it there, it does test some sort of cognitive abilities. Right. And I think get, does it matter that you got 10 points higher than the guy sitting beside you? I don't think that matters. Um, there's a lot of it, you know, how you take tests. A lot of it's like people feel a lot of pressure being in a room with like, you know, a tester and, and, what, however, the test is administered, like that in and of itself, is is a lot of pressure for people. But interestingly, it's just really preparing you for like dealing with pressure and how you deal under pressure. So I think getting good at writing those tests kind of is important to, to as a skill in and of itself, right? And so, and that's the part that people kind of overlook. And like, you know, if you're if you can't if you're not good at writing a test under that kind of pressure you're never going to be good at law school because all you do in law school, well, not all, but half the tests you write in law school are sitting in a room with 50 or 60 other people in a three-hour time crunch window, you know, reading and writing. And if you, you're not going to succeed at that if you can't, if that's not a good skill that you have. So, like, even just that part of it, irrelevant of the material how, and irrelevant of how smart you are, just literally sitting in a room and hearing 35 people typing on their keyboards for three hours straight is very stressful. And, and no different than the stress you would have experienced in writing the LSAT or the MCAT or the GMAT. So I do think that like, there's something to it. And again, there's cognitive abilities and some, you know, memory recall and like some of the things that are all, there's obviously some science behind the testing, but it's sad that it's become sort of the be all and end all of who can get in and who can't get in. And people specifically study just so they can do well on these tests so that they can get into the better school, et cetera, et cetera, right? I think that's where the disconnect has become. Mm-hmm. Sheriston, what about yourself?
0: I definitely agree. I de- I think um, I think that point about making it a business is where I was like, "That's it, man!" Like, just because I almost I almost view it in a in a backwards right. Like, and I can only speak to uh, the CPA or the accounting the accounting route. I can't speak yeah. to all the other standardized tests <laughs> that you did, but um, it, it's kind of like if I feel like it makes more sense to understand what you're doing and then go back, um, and and learn kind of those details. And and maybe this is a lot of people will disagree with that, but to me, it was kind of like when you're forced to study all these things at once, it's kind of like, what am I doing this for? Or like, Mm -hmm. what do these things mean? Like I need to, like, I need to visually or like practically see it in, in, in work before I understand it. And maybe that's just the way I learned. Um, So for me, it was kind of like when I was working in accounting and stuff like that. I learned way more than what I did in school, and I was like, I I would go back to my my schooling notes and things like like, things like that, and I'd be like, Oh wow, okay, yeah, yeah, like I get where I I was having trouble with this before, but now this is so much easier that I've seen it in play, right? Right. So I'm definitely against all forms of schooling, but I'm biased.
1: (laughs) You know what, though, it honestly, and this is the crazy part, is like. And we, you always hear this, but you don't really understand it until later in life is like, it's so much of it depends on your teachers, whether it's professors in schools, med schools, law schools, whatever, or even your high school teachers, right? Like, or your elementary teachers, like the ones that kind of lay it out for you and help you understand why do you need to know, you know, this algebra ever, like who's doing algebra equations ever in their life? Like, maybe you're an engineer, I don't know, but like most people aren't doing them. but it's not about that, right? It's about understanding how to like think of concepts and like put them in in light. And so, but again, you don't, it's kind of hard to explain to a kid in high school, but also even more practically speaking, like even in law school, like taking whatever, a tax law, you can, these courses, like they're in a book, they don't mean anything until you get to the real world and they actually start to mean something. You're like, oh, now I understand why this and this has to happen, right? Like, and, and- but if you have the right teachers and you, or, or the right professors or you're asking the right questions or you're having the right discussions in the classroom setting, I think that is what makes or breaks it for you, right? The part sure. that I've always been upset about school, despite the fact that I spent 10 years at school, is, is how much universities focus on professors that do research. They only care about research and how much research they do. and how many papers they publish because that you know that gives them notoriety and all this other stuff and honestly it's like it's sad because i've even i always tell the story in undergrad i went to guelph and um like i took i was i was doing sciences so i took an organic chemistry class and there was a teacher that i taught it for years and and i think they retired or they left the school whatever happened and they brought in this like teacher from france and she said on the first day like she's like my english is bad and i hate teaching i've come here to do like really interesting research but they forced me to teach a class so like here i am on like day <laughs> one of class and we're, everyone in the class is like wtf like what are you talking <laughs> about so and it was like the word like who wants to go to a class like that right
0: great first impression
1: yeah, yeah. It's terrible
0: how long did you like, skip that class
1: yeah even if that was true, why would you admit that? Right, right. <laughs> and guess what? She was a terrible teacher. Like everyone did, you know, people, no one understood the class. Like, and, and she tried to play it off because she was French and there was an English barrier, but it wasn't true, her <laughs> English was fine. Like she just, didn't, she wasn't passionate for it, right? And when you're like at the university level, and this is the problem, like university level is when you need to actually learn the education part of it, because that may be the thing that you want to do if you don't have the teachers that are inspiring you or teaching you the things you're like you know you're bored you're not interested whatever you you're easily going to be dissuaded by it and so and that in that's even more true once you get into professional school right? right there's there's legal professors that are legal scholars and they're super smart and they know the law inside and out but they're not good at teaching and so you lose that like interest and then you get you know and then you become a lawyer and you're working and you're like oh I wish I actually had someone to teach me these skills and the the thing and I always go back to like the profs for for me for law school like the profs that and if you ask anyone who went to my law school like at Osgood they all say the profs that they love the most are the ones that actually you know practiced for a bit or even whether they did or didn't is irrelevant but the fact they can teach like and you and grounded in real life experiences and like teach you the principles because they know you're never going to remember the case law. No one remembers that crap. You remember, you know, a little bit of it, but it's not that's not what is important for you later in life. It's like understanding the principles and why this works and why this doesn't work and how society has gotten to this place. Right. Mm-hmm. That's exactly. like what's, that's what's interesting. So I, I think the one place that actually Canada or any country needs to do a better job at is that is sadly at the teacher level right and I'm not blaming teachers like it is what it is but I think they need to like rethink about how they hire teachers and professors and you need to have them research and all that and that's important but then maybe those people aren't shouldn't be the ones that are also teaching the classes right
0: just to that point I think um I I think with especially with everything going on now like schooling is 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 in the forefront because everything is moving virtual and things like that so it's kind of like there's a lot there's a big spotlight on it to be like hey there's a lot of there's a lot of uh room for improvement that we've been uh, ignoring all this time right so oh totally totally but I so don't you even made know it out of
1: how i don't even know how like obviously i have two young kids at home so like their <laughs> teachers did some zoom classes and actually they you know they were great um but you know i've spoken to so many friends you know literally across the globe who have kids at different ages or themselves are still finishing up school or whatever and like it's just sad like everyone's experiences have been so different over the last few months and again it comes down to the teacher are they you know are they comfortable getting on a zoom call in front of their class and teaching are they does the school even have the right resources do the kids have the right resources like there's no there's so much to it and it'll be interesting to see like how this area evolves. Right. Like we're on a zoom call right now. Nobody even people forgot about zoom six months ago. (laughs) (laughs) Company was on its last legs kind of thing. So we'll see, man, we'll see kind of where and how teaching evolves. And I think, I think as a society, like young people are getting more frustrated by school in general. Like, I think that is a very, you know, North American and probably European mindset where like school I think is be, unless you want to be a professional, like if you want to be a lawyer or a doctor or whatever, accountant or engineer a nurse or et cetera, I think you, I think young people in general are like, why do I have to go do a four-year degree? What is this teaching me? Why do I have to go, you know, learn about whatever, you know, what is my poli-sci degree even getting me? What are any of these degrees even getting me? Like, right. what is an undergrad in science even getting me unless mm-hmm. I'm choosing that route? Like- it is a bit of a problem and i think i think i think institutions as a whole really haven't figured it out i think the ones that probably will succeed are the ones that are starting to realize that yes i have to teach you bio 101 but if i don't teach you about how this eventually becomes molecules in medicine in a pharma industry or why doctors need to know this stuff like there's no link right and they kind of they're just reteaching the same syllabus over and over and over again and and there's, they're really lacking that like linkage. And I think, and and now I can just, I can get a YouTube teacher to teach me, right. I can watch like 10 videos about photosynthesis and learn and learn it. I don't need to pay the school, whatever hundreds of, you know, thousands of dollars or whatever it costs to go. So I think, and I think like our generation, probably, you know, we've kind of gone through it and our parents were okay with it, but like, look at me, I'm having these thoughts and I have young kids, what's going to happen in, you know, however many years from now when they're applying to school, if they don't want to be this type of professional, like, our parents kind of pushed us into school, I think, like this generation of people, but I don't know that that's going to continue to happen because our generation maybe didn't have the best experiences from school or didn't get the outcome that we thought school was going to bring us to, right?
0: Right, 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 exactly. And I like that. I like that. um, I I feel like 2020 is kind of like the year of drastic reform. It's kind of like (laughs) so many of these institutions and so many, like whether that's school or that's work or anything, it's kind of like politics. Yeah. Yeah. Everything's getting thrown upside down and it's kind of like, what are you going to do about it? Right. How are you adapting to that? Um, So I think schooling is definitely one. um, But from your experience, like in the legal sphere, like are you, what kind of with the economy um, and, and just, kind of from your background, where do you, what kind of differences are you seeing right now um, in terms of the result of these changes? You know what I mean? Whether that's generational changes kind of um, preferences changing as well as like the situation that we're in the pandemic kind of switching everyone off. Right.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, it's so hard to tell, right? Like it's, and, and I think, I think different countries and how they've dealt with the pandemic and how their society and economies, you know, rebound and all that. I think so much of that is going to be dependent on the the grander, you know, scale. Right. But it will, I think, I do think the companies that will succeed obviously are the ones that are able to adapt and shift to digital and do all those things. Right. I think like a career perspective, if I, you know, if I had just finished law school today and all of a sudden my articling position that I thought I had is no longer there or I can't get one, you know, it was already hard to get one without yeah. a pandemic. Now there's a pandemic and like, you know, the whole system kind of relies on the big firms and the medium sized firms to hire a bunch of the students and train them and, and make them professionals and, you know and it'll be really like they're gonna have to take a hard look at themselves to figure out like how they continue to do this right um and it's not because you know whatever the industry doesn't want to support young lawyers and young students like i think they do and maybe even more than ever but they'll just be like financial real financial considerations to what that actually means and like they were already kind of struggling right like in the legal industry at least like there's already so many students that weren't getting um, that weren't getting uh, articling positions and they already created like this school that was sort of like a hybrid school where you kind of did some work pro bono, but also kind of had teachers come in and teach you like lawyering skills. And that's what you did for your year of articling where you did like sort of half and half and even, and, and then those guys again, kind of had to, once they got called to the bar and then became lawyers, have to find their own jobs or start their own practices or whatever. I think, Generally, humans are good at adapting. So some sort of system will come out and you know, people will crack the code and figure out new ways of doing it. But I think it'll be an interesting shift for sure uh, to see how things evolve and potentially young people like taking more risks because of necessity, either starting their own practices on their own or you know, had been laid off and like need to make money. And so, you know, figuring out what what that means for them. Um, I do think generally, like I obviously I'm in the field, so I read a lot about it. You know, there's been uh, surprisingly like a lot of movement where companies are like really actually hiring more lawyers now because the legal landscape is changing like overnight, every day. Like it's been the last six months, like any other industry, right? Like the regulations are changing so quickly, so fast, whether it's employment law or, you know, whatever, government regulations across the board, immigration, et cetera. They are, they're they're just happening so fast and it's like almost near impossible to stay on top of how many things are changing. And so surprisingly, like there's been a lot of hiring for companies that are looking for lawyers to like help them navigate, you know, the, the waters. So that's been one of the areas that's, and I'm not saying it's across the board and obviously there's people that are out of work and all that. And I don't want to, you know, paint the wrong picture, but I do right. think- that's been an interesting shift where like companies before maybe would have relied on external counsel are now looking to hire people in house uh, with various levels of expertise or are calling like external counsel when they can to kind of get the advice. So I think the legal industry is, is one that's kind of uniquely changing and we'll see kind of whether that shift changes or stays. I think there's already, there was already kind of a move to in-house. Like I think in-house general was kind of building up more and more. So we'll see if that, you know, even becomes an automatic starting ground for some kids. Like, you know, they, companies like you to have been worked at some kind of firm and have some kind of practice before you come in, but who says that's, you know, the right way of doing it? There's, there's many ways of doing it. So we'll see where it goes. But I do, like, I think in any industry, whether you just finished your CPA or, you know, whether you, you know, just finished business school, whatever, like, I think all the whole economy is is at one of those moments maybe kind of like 2008 or other places in time where I think the 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 people that kind of say, okay, I'm going to figure out, I'm not going to let this deter me and I'm going to figure out what's needed and I'm going to pivot and I'm going to make those decisions for myself are going to just have to do it, right?
0: Exactly. Yeah.
1: We'll <laughs> I, I think it's a really interesting time. Like, I'm on. what's happening in your world? Like, are you changing?
2: Are you uh, changing? Yeah. Are you so changing? in tech, we've actually shifted a lot, obviously. So if you look at any tech company their usual capital structure is usually a lot cash based and uh, their burn rates are usually quite significant and so you can only go as far as how long your cash takes you right, right. so um and so we've seen a couple of changes in the industry so I'm not sure if you're familiar with larger companies such as like virtual um yeah. the food delivery app they yeah. recently raised i think it was 45 million something like that uh, but they also laid off about, I don't know, I think it was one third or something like that in terms of their entire workforce.
0: Right. So
2: a lot of that money, in my belief, is going towards just future run rate mm. um, and kind of keeping them afloat, mm-hmm. to keep their operations afloat. And I think a lot of startups are doing that right now. Um, so there's been a shift in terms of also the mentality. Uh, we had a lot of tech companies just focus purely on growth. And they always forgot about the end goal of a business is to actually profit. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And so uh, that ideology ain't flying anymore. So uh, we've seen the shift with a lot of businesses upcoming in the tech industry that their mentality is profit based. So we just uh, on the podcast, we had uh, Anthony Zhang, who is uh, a serial entrepreneur. He's a great individual. We asked him the same question and he's just like, I want to focus on profit. I mean, worrying about raising your next round of money uh, is quite difficult. It's not an easy task and given the stringent uh, kind of circumstances with the pandemic, there's not a lot of money moving around to be honest. And so venture capitalists are kind of tighter in terms of who they invest in. Um, And so that's kind of, we've seen a shift. Uh, And I think across all industries, we've seen that, you know, the decline, the layoffs, um, and that's to be expected with kind of no one going out, no one buying, and you know. Yeah. Uh, so that's made a huge impact. I mean, I'd be curious to see how, in terms of the corporate world, so Sherston, I mean, that's your end of things. Uh, so, like a Rex Hall or any large corporate world, I think you have more experience. So, can you kind of describe that? I know Yum Brands is similar to that in a sense, uh, it's a large corporation. Uh, as well, different capital structures. So how do you guys kind of see your world changing?
0: Yeah, no, for sure. I think um, what we're seeing right now is it's kind of like a 2 prong approach for a lot of uh, corporations where it's like, on one hand, it's their understanding that they're so behind in business operations itself. Like as a result of the pandemic, it's kind of like, you have a lot of traditional corporations that have that mindset of, nine to five office and this is it. Right. And like, you come in, you do your role and you leave. And it's kind of like, they're understanding that, okay, there's a whole new world to running our operations that we weren't aware of. Like they always used to chalk it up to be like, Oh, that's just, you know, like, like simple, simple concepts such as working from home is now the norm now. Right. So I think that's one of the biggest shifts that we're seeing is, is under is seeing corporations understand how people work because that was a very overlooked item like and i hate to say it that way but it's kind of like they never a lot of companies didn't truly understand how their employees want to work Um, and so that's the biggest thing that i'm seeing right now is is they're shifting to uh, managing their employees better um, and understanding their employees better it's because at the end of the day, if they're not there, you're not making money, right? Yeah.
2: And you're also forced to communicate with them now.
0: So, exactly. Uh, yeah.
2: <laughs> you're forced to communicate and they're sort of forced to listen because yeah. like, that's
1: the reality, right? It's funny. You know, you're totally right. Like in a weird way, you know, all the, the structures of society that were originally set up, the 9 to 5, the Monday to Friday, all these things, like they were set up for the economy at the time when they were set up. But now it's so different. You know, for sure, the work from home, like work from anywhere, work all the time. Like all these things are, are, are gonna need to be rethought about and, and managed. And even for me personally, I was, I've always, not always, but like in my adult life, I've been a night owl and I do like a lot of work and some of my work in the evening time. Why does it matter that I walk into an office at nine in the morning if yeah, I'm not right. until noon? And like, I, this is funny, but like a lot of, I'm on this like uh, crisis team or whatever at my office And like when the pandemic hit in Asia, we were obviously Yum brands was, you know, on the KFC side, at least they're everywhere. Same with Pizza Hut. And so we kind of followed it as it started in China and across the world. And we were kind of providing like support um, across the world. And like, you know, you're getting emails and text messages at all hours of the day and all hours of the night because you're literally supporting a global business. And I like ne- like in the morning, you know, we'd have these calls at like or meetings at like 9 a.m. or whatever, 10 a.m. And I, I'd, I'd be fine. I would participate or whatever. But in the afternoon, they would always joke like, "Oh, Mike's had a second coffee nap." <laughs> talking now, right? And that's kind of when my brain like really turns on and when I'm really firing. And that's when I like, and I know that about myself. So I actually plan like that if I have really important meetings, like even like this one, like if I want to really be vocal, I'm gonna. Actually do it later in the day, like that's when my brain works the best. Why does it matter that I walk into an office at nine in the morning if I'm not gonna be productive until noon? And it's exactly. not that I'm not productive, obviously I can be and I and I am, but you know, my peak performance, if you want to call okay. it, is later in the day. And like the fact that companies are now realizing that, like it's crazy that it took this to kind of happen.
0: <laughs> Thank you. Thank yeah. you. <laughs>
1: So we'll see we'll see kinda of how how you know the economy and, and things evolve. But I do think by by virtue of this, like companies have to listen to their employees and and you know figure out what, what the right dynamic is gonna be.
0: For sure.
2: Totally agree with those points. So let's let's get back back into the legal space per se. Uh, sure. So Uh, You've obviously worked over like now, I think it's eight years plus uh, in the industry. Um, What would you say is like the best piece of advice? I know we've had bits and pieces here through the conversation, but what would be the best piece of advice you can give the next generation of lawyers?
1: Um, You know, for lawyers specifically, I think uh, it's, and this has always been the case, but sort of just put your head down and work hard. I think um you know take obviously take the opportunities as they come and try and learn and try and experience new things but really like good work if you do the good work that is really what gets rewarded and i think you know it's easy and exciting to always think about oh what's my next role and what's my next gig and when is this promotion going to come and i think this is in any industry not only legal but um I think if you actually like dig deep and, and roll your sleeves up and do like the work and really put in the effort, I think, I think it's proven over you know decades that that really does pay off. And there's, we talked earlier about the Ryan, you know, get rich quick schemes and yeah. whatever they are. And that may work for a very small group of people, but ultimately, you know, if you see yourself really wanting to do law as a career, you know, it, part of the problem is that it takes you know a long time to really kind of learn the law and how to deal with it and how to work with it and you don't understand that until you've spent years doing it and i've only spent eight years i mean i'm still considered i still consider myself young in the industry and you know we all you always see on tv there's all these old gray-haired lawyers and and they're really the ones that kind of are the sages and know these things and it particularly in law the reason that happens potentially more than in other industries is because you really do need those years of experience to kind of live through different scenarios and challenges and, and deal with them and grapple with them. And, 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 you know, you could be a good writer, right? Like that's a skill, like people, some people are better writers than others and reading and writing is part of being a good lawyer, but um, you know, you can learn that part of it, but you haven't experienced all the things you may need to, to kind of be good and and that's kind of why people work really hard in law and there's all these long hours is because they you know it just comes down to the fact that you need to grapple with it and deal with it and write and learn and rewrite and read and all these things that need to happen for you to to hone the craft and and it it just can't happen any other way um so i I think it kind of gets back to kind of you know even this podcast is called like generation hustle, right? And like Mm -hmm. people always think they need, like, what does hustle mean? There's sort of a negative connotation in my head with it. Like, Oh, I'm hustling someone on the side or people say they have a side hustle because they're doing something else on the side. It's like, there's nothing wrong with actually just, the hustle is you just working your ass off in the thing that you want to be good at and want to succeed in, right? I think that is the true hustle. And so um just kind of stick with it and 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 really do the grind right i think the grind part of it is really where you learn in the trenches and and how you figure things out and how you get good and that is sort of what differentiates in my mind at least like and and people that are and again it doesn't mean if you're young you can't be good you can but you really have to dedicate yourself to that thing and i think if you ask you know, you wanna go see a doctor, you wanna see a surgeon, do you wanna see the guy who's doing his seventh surgery or the guy who's <laughs> yeah. doing his thousandth surgery, right? And it's just because right. he's renowned because he's done 7,000 surgeries because he's seen so many different things, right? And again, the seventh guy might be super good and technical and smart and read every book and maybe memorize it and know inside and out and maybe has watched 7,000 surgeries, but until you do it themselves with your own two hands, it doesn't, it doesn't compute the same way. So I think that part will still hold true no matter what it is that we do.
2: It's such a great perspective. And I think, regardless of what career you go into, I think that's kind of the mentality you should have, like, um, whether you want to be an accountant, whether you want to be, I don't know, someone in software engineering, you kind of have to work your butt off to be in the position that you want to be in. Yeah. Um, and I think that's kind of why we want to, we brought this podcast to life to kind of shine light of individuals that, you know, work hard, but there's a reason to working hard. You get to a position because of that hard work and there's always a story behind, you know, that hard work and why you're doing it. So, uh, I think that's quite unique. So you've also said that you've really enjoyed the culture at Young brands, right? Yeah. Um, have you ever considered kind of opening your own practice? Cause we know a lot of lawyers kind of go down that route. Uh, but what has specifically, what has made you kind of stay at Young Brands versus going that route?
1: Yeah. I mean, I haven't like, you know, I've thought about it in my head, but I haven't really like explored that opportunity. I think for me, Um, and something that I personally thrive in is like the relationships. And this is something that I think you don't get from like working from home only. Right. Like, and like back to my original point about the economy and how things go. I do think like, I, for me, at least personally, I'm extroverted. I like, I, I get, I'm passionate about having conversations with people and, and, and getting to know people and, and like, you know, having those, those extra things, not just, Hey, can you draft this letter for me? Like I can draft the letter, you know, it's not about that. It's about everything, the context and everything surrounding it. So I do think that maybe for me, at least in my career right now, like I really like being part of a company. I like, you know, I've succeeded in this company and it happens to be big. It doesn't necessarily need to be a big public company. It could be a smaller company or whatever, but I do like the the office environment and I do like the, you know, we're all kind of pulling towards the same thing. And I think culture is super important and all these things that happen in an office environment and how people treat each other and you know, all, all those things I do for me, at least that's what kind of motivates me. And so I think that's why I, you know, have enjoyed my time thus far in the company and, and, and what has made me at least successful is I've really bought into that. And I think, Um, it's not for everyone. And I think different people succeed in different kinds of organizations and different people are motivated by different things. And some people just want to make a ton of money and that their only goal cash. And and so, you know, maybe, I don't know, maybe I made it, maybe I could make more money doing my own practice. Maybe not. I'm also, maybe now I don't want to take the risk of like setting up my own business because I have a young family at home and I like, need to provide for them you know what I mean so there's different reasons and things that people different triggers that that you know cause someone to or not to do something um but it's not to say that one day that isn't maybe something that I would explore and and actually I have quite a few friends that are starting through that now and we'll see kind of how things evolve for them and and I think part of it you know my parents have their own you know have their own business and I think if you know anyone that has their own business or have seen or run your own business you know, it, it seems glamorous from the outside, but there's so much hard work yeah. to get it running. And like, even part of being a lawyer with your own practice is not just about being a good lawyer, like half of it's just marketing and, and you knowing and clients and getting people and like, you know, all the things that come with running a business, right. And doing your expenses and doing accounting and do it, you know, so I think, again it's not to say that it's not something that i may do later down the road and might get passionate about down the road or whatever but at this point in my life and where i am with my family and etc like it's not something that i've really given thought to for
0: sure Brilliant.
2: yep right. yeah Excellent.
0: i like that sorry i keep cutting you off
2: and that's all right uh, i was just gonna say that's a great kind of like philosophy it's like um it's the right time for something to happen. Um, So a lot of people are, uh, you know, in different points in their life. And uh, like you said, Mike, right now is kind of the opportunity and you've really enjoyed young brand, So why kind of change that right now, given the circumstances you're in? Um, And then obviously over time, if your passion evolves, that's something you might explore.
1: I also haven't done like the same thing. Like I started out as like the head of legal just for Pizza Hut and then I, did both KFC and Pizza Hut um, and kind of spent more time learning the KFC business. Now I'm on the international side learning like sort of the global business, so to speak. And I also do most of the head of legal for the Latin America business, which I'm like super involved in as well. So I, I keep doing different things. And I think that is something that you get to experience either with a company that's growing quickly or with a company that is large, there's different opportunities. Right. And I, and so for me, I, again, like every year and a half or two years, I feel like my role has changed. So I haven't really, you know, if I had maybe been doing the exact same thing for five years, I probably wouldn't be that motivated by it. Mm-hmm. And I don't think anyone is at any job, whether it's, you know, whether you run your own little practice or, wh- and, or whether you are in a company. Like, I think, I think part of it is keeping, you know, things that are motivating you and things that are changing all the time that excite you. If, you're, if you lose that passion and excitement, I think that's when it becomes the nine to five dread that that I think you know a lot of people struggle with. And look, sometimes you stay in it because it's comfortable or you're making good money or there's no other opportunities or whatever happens, right? Life has its own circumstances. But for me, at least thus far, it's been about you know a bit of a leap of faith and also seeing if that thing really is something that excites me.
0: I think you touched on a lot of really cool topics throughout this conversation. Um, like, especially because you jump through so many different fields, um, and to be able to pivot through that, uh, it requires a different kind of mentality to be able to kind of set those same goals again. Right. Because most, a lot of people have a vision and they're like, this is what I need to do. And I'm going to take these steps, steps, steps. And then when it stops, it's like, okay, what am I going to do now? Right. And so I feel like you have such a unique perspective on that, which is why I want to ask you like what you define a success because a lot of people have different motivators and whether that's cash or whether like in your case you were like hey I, I switched from my law firm to corporate because it worked out for your family at the time too right You're, you had a daughter and things like that so like p- different people have different motivators but I think at the end of the day everyone has some sort of idea of like this is what I want which Maybe a good or bad thing, but I want to get your take on that. Like, what do you define as success, um, whether that's in your life or in your career? Like, how do you define that?
1: Okay, first of all, I think it sounds crazy. Like, in this world and the way we work now, I would say 95% of the people, I think money is part of the motivating factor. Like, right, to say that I, you know, I yes, I left and whatever. And obviously when my daughter was born, but like, you know, I didn't, I didn't say, okay, I'm giving up all this money to not do those things. Like, I think obviously spending time with my family and all that is important. And I felt like, I just felt like the balance was off at the time and wasn't really suiting like what I needed to in life. And I do think, especially for young people, I mean, ultimately, It's not money. It's like the fact that, okay, I want to go on a vacation or two a year. So I need money for that. And I want to live in a house, you know, in some city like Toronto where it's insanely expensive or not. Like I wanna be able to afford it's more about the affordability and the value of the things that I want. And then I'm not saying I need to, you know, drive a specific type of car. That doesn't motivate me. For some people, that's all they care about, right? right? And so I think it's almost like what are the experiences or the things that you're looking for? Right. I think what the problem is no it's not a problem. Actually, I think what the, what people's hesitation are and sort of like the thing about why do I feel like I have to go to school for all these years is like, it doesn't feel like the reward right away is, you know, is there. And so you start to jump around and you start to, you know, and you kind of inevitably have to think about things in a different light. And, and I think even part of the reason why people become entrepreneurs and why people, you know, do startups or why people switch careers is because, you know, often I think the original switch, if you're going to start a company, you make zero money, you know, all of a sudden, or you switch careers and maybe you make, you know, a few thousand dollars more in in this new company or whatever. But, ultimately, it's not about that. I think we say it is, but I don't, you know, yes, it's if I get 10 more thousand dollars, maybe I can, you know, pay a better mortgage on my house, whatever it is, I think ultimately, it's what the potential is, and what the, you know, what the lifestyle and what the things that you're chasing are, right. And I think, I think that's what it comes down to, right. And I think if I honestly, truly thought that, being a car mechanic like if i was really passionate about cars maybe i would and i and that's what i love to do maybe i would be a car mechanic right and i right. would say i think money is is there but it's sort of the reward that you get while you do the thing but if you i think if you ask anyone who really likes what they do they you have to somehow be passionate about it and everyone says that but and maybe you don't even know what you're in the, th- the problem is you don't know when you're young what you're passionate about mm-hmm. um, but eventually you know when you're not passionate about it, I think is probably a better way. You know? It's one of those things where like if, it's, if it doesn't feel right and you just hate it, like you really hate it. And, and it could be a bunch of things. Again, it's like, is it the right company? Is it the right environment? Is it the right people? Is it all these things? But if you' ultimately there's got to be some level of passion for it. Um, and I think even to be honest, like even practicing law, like I think being in a law firm, You're really a lot more, um, you know, specialized and you really need to know like the intricacies of every law and how they work and what it means for the businesses and et cetera, just like being a tax practitioner might be, right? When you move in-house and like why I really have enjoyed being in-house is I'm more of an advisor. Yes, I have to know how to draft the contract. Yes, I have to understand the laws that are applicable, contract law, privacy law, whatever comes up. But um it's to me I thrive off of the actually being part of the strategy of the company and figuring out how we can get this thing to work and how we can, you know, make it work why we're making it work a certain way, why we're structuring the business this way, why we're trying to get this type of goal. Like that's what drives me, and I get to do that from my legal chair. And that's what's been motivating for me. And obviously the reward and and you know, money and all that, that's obviously part of the of the of the situation. But like you have to truly like what you do. Otherwise, if you don't feel passionate about it, you know, we know where that ends.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. Yeah. No, don't, don't get it twisted. I would do this all day if I could. Um, yeah. but me and Ahmed are still working, uh, during the day because we, we, we got to pay the bills too. Right. So it's, exactly. It's, exactly. This is, we're passionate about this and which is why we started this. So I, I definitely agree with that. Exactly. But thank you, uh, Mike, I don't know how you are for time right now. We normally do like a quick lightning round at the end. Um, so let me know how you are doing for okay. timing.
1: Let's do it. Let's do a quick lightning round and then I'm going to call it.
0: All right. My kids, do,
1: my kids do wake up early still.
2: Okay, <laughs> sweet. Um, all right, so lightning round, we just always try to get a bit more personal with our guests uh, beyond just, say, their careers and the business perspective. So uh, let's get right into it. Uh, favorite book of all time?
1: Oh, man. I was gonna say The Catcher in the Rye, but I don't think that's my favorite book. It's just the first thing that popped in my head. <laughs> <laughs> I
2: guess that still counts. <laughs> All right.
1: Um, favorite book? Um, uh, geez, Blink
2: maybe. I like that book. Who's right. that by? Uh, Malcolm Gladwell. Okay, I've I've heard that. I think someone else said that on our podcast.
0: Yeah, yeah, we've had Malcolm Gladwell twice now. So.
2: Yeah, Malcolm okay.
0: Gladwell's great.
2: Actually, I also like Freakonomics. He didn't write that book, but that's also an interesting. Right. I I thought you were going to say the LSAT prep book for a second. Yeah, LSAT prep 101. (laughs) Thank God it was that. Uh, So uh, after a long day, uh, you come back from work. How do you unwind? Um,
1: I guess after I put my kids to bed.
0: (laughs) Yeah.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. you know, I do enjoy a nice glass of wine, not that I drink on a regular basis, but if that's on the table, that's a good option. Um, actually, to be honest, I'm I'm right now I'm living away from my friends. So I spend a lot of time on WhatsApp or, mm-hmm. you know, talking to buddies or my family or uh, kind of just taking a breather from looking at emails and all that. I think that's the reality of how I unwind. Um, before COVID, I guess, to some extent, I was playing basketball or working out. I think right. since I've kind of been stranded at home or in my own little community, I've been doing less of that. Uh, but yeah, I guess either talking to friends or, or family or, or doing something active is, is the real answer.
2: Awesome. Awesome. So we know you work for Young Brands. Uh, what's the favorite thing uh, on their menu? Say like Pizza Hut, KFC, whatever it may be. Okay. What's your favorite in- thing?
1: in canada because they don't have it everywhere it's the taco bell Fry supreme okay um globally i think uh geez i don't know i love pizza a lot <laughs> <laughs> do you do you get free pizza uh you know i mean you get it in the office because right a lot of the offices they have like test kitchens and they're always testing different like formulas and recipes and you know different suppliers if you know they want to test the new like pepper for example they'll oh, do, okay like, 20 pizzas they'll put, pump out with like pepperoni and red pepper and like just pepper and you know mushroom and pepper like they got to test it with all these different ingredients so they'll bring those out at like two o'clock and like how do you say no to like a friend <laughs> yeah right and they often have like chefs that come in and like try different you know recipes and stuff so that's a tough one for me. I also really like uh from KFC, I really like the chicken sandwich. So those right. are okay.
2: across the board, those are probably my top three. Awesome, <laughs> awesome. And so on the topic of pizza, and this is like the most debated question we have on the podcast. Yes. Yay or nay for pineapple on pizza. Oh,
1: I'm a yay for
0: sure. Okay. All right. We're okay, we're nice. one for
1: like one for like seven, literally. <laughs> One for seven is a yay or one for seven is a
0: nay? Nay. Oh. That's, that's man, Everybody loves <laughs> pineapples, man. I'm with it. Yeah,
2: you're ha- that's the demographic you're appealing to. Apparently. <laughs> yeah. Apparently. Uh, but yeah, that finishes up our lightning round. So, Mike, we awesome. want to thank you so much for being a part of this. Thanks, uh, Super, super insightful in terms of obviously describing what the field of law looks like. You know, we also got into a bit of personal talk in terms of just the life concept and how you kind of moved through your career. Uh, Very unique story. Uh, Sheriston, any last thoughts here?
0: Yeah, no, for sure. I enjoyed this so much and um, I'm forever grateful, man. I appreciate it so much. This was such a great conversation.
1: Thank you, man. You guys keep it up. I know you're just getting started, but I can see you're passionate about it and it's a side hustle for now, but you you never know where things go and just keep at it. Like you guys are doing the right thing. Yeah, we're coming after you, Joe
2: Rogan. Yeah, coming after
0: you. Awesome, (laughs) Mike. We're I'm gonna see if I can hold you for like one minute after we end this recording. Is that okay? Yeah, perfect. Awesome. Awesome, thank you so much. All right,
1: cheers.